Hey everybody, quick note before we get started. This month, we're doing a survey to learn more about who our listeners are, what they enjoy about the podcast, and how we can do better. If you go to jutupodcast.com, there's a link on the homepage, and I've also emailed it to our MailChimp list, and you'll find links to it on Facebook and Twitter. If for whatever reason you can't find the survey through those means, go ahead and email jutupodcast.com. If you fill it out, you could win $75. I'm giving away two prizes to incentivize your time, and it really should take you less than five minutes. Anyway, on to the episode. This is part two of what I'm calling a Cohen family case study. It's looking at three generations of a particular Cohen family, mine. We talked to my grandpa Mort and my grandma Doris, to my parents Fred and Judy, and to my sisters Isabel and Olivia part one of this series was really about how my family got here. I actually do recommend that if you haven't heard it yet, you go back and listen to that one first and then come back to this one. This second part is really about where we are now and how Judaism fits into that and might fit into our futures. I'm going to be talking a lot more with my sisters who are 27 and 24. They're both what you might call secular Jews. And in that sense, they might be what a lot of the Jewish establishment is afraid of. Neither one is likely to join a synagogue any time in the near future. Neither one is committed to marrying a Jewish partner. And neither one is particularly interested in adhering to traditional Jewish rituals on the day-to-day level. But enough of me speaking for them. We'll go ahead and get started. I'm Rabbi Emily Cohen. Thanks for listening. I'd gone off on a walk and I stumbled upon a grove of ancient petroglyphs and I was so in awe. I sat and I traced every single petroglyph with my finger and then I sat down and I wanted to meditate in that, in the grove of petroglyphs. And I just heard these voices. (laughs) I heard, this sounds bonafide insane. But I heard the voices of the people who had made the petroglyphs that were like, be a, be a rock as we are rocks so that others may come to depend on you, was the, the gist of, of what they were telling me. And there's this whole other prayer that went before it. I really wish I had remembered all of it, but that was all that I, I never wrote it down. That was the only piece of it that I remember. But I definitely wasn't thinking it. Like, it, it came to me. Like, these words just started going through my head. I don't know where they came from. And then it wasn't like a lot of the times when you get up from meditation, it's kind of like this slow, you bat your eyes open, you kind of look around. It was like these voices, like, I was frozen. I don't think I could have moved if I wanted to. And then the voices left, and I was, like, awake, like nothing had happened. And like, I don't know what you want to call the voice of visions. You might call it intuition, you might call it God, but like that was my first experience with it. I definitely believe in God, strongly. (laughs) Well, I started believing in God again when I was 14. And I went backpacking for the first time and I had just an experience looking up at the cemetery of pine trees in a grove and being like, this couldn't have just happened by accident. This is too perfect. 
Um, so then I was ag- agnostic for a while, and I was like, okay, like maybe there's something. I don't want to like put a label on it. I don't want to go that far. But like this is really amazing. And I had just had this feeling when I was in nature, like that there was something else. Quick recap for those who didn't listen to part one. I really do recommend going back and listening to that first. But just to recap, Olivia, who's my youngest sister, stopped believing in God in the fourth grade because she thought that there were too many contradictions and therefore there couldn't possibly be some kind of God behind all of it. Clearly, she changed her mind. When did I start believing in God? Oh, the first time I went to Nicaragua. After college, I took my first trip to Nicaragua. I was living at a permaculture farm on Ometepe, which is like an island on Lake Nicaragua. I read this book called The Artist's Way. Julia Campbell, I think. It's a pretty well-known like creative textbook. And I did her whole course. It's like this 12-week course on identifying and finding creative outlets in your life that you may have like blocked off mostly subconsciously and it just opened me up in so many ways and I think also just being in that environment being on the farm living in this like really sweet little community being in nature like real nature we were like isolated halfway up a volcano in the middle of a lake like so far away (laughs) from anything it was like an hour and a half to walk to go buy a jar of peanut butter like it was very isolated and yeah that's why I started believing in God again because she talks about like connecting to some sort of divine source in your life in order to find more creativity I started getting really into meditating like it always like kind of liked meditating but I started getting into meditating like every day sometimes I just sit for hours and meditate hence the eventual visions i don't know if you were to ask me like are your visions jewish like when you've had visions are meditative visions jewish it's like well they're not not jewish so like there's i'm not one to say that they are but they're certainly not not jewish i think if in the vision i was told like this is a Hebrew God <laughs> or something, which I don't imagine happening. I don't know what it would take for me to say that they are Jewish. I wouldn't say that those visions are anything. They're not Christian. They're not Jewish. They're not Buddhist. They're not... They're just a connection to divine. If someone were like, name the religion affiliated with your spiritual experiences, I would say Judaism by default of my personality because I was raised Jewish because there's a piece of me that filters things through a Jewish lens, subconsciously or consciously. But I also believe that those experiences are universal and had I been raised any other religion, I would still have experienced them the same way. And so I can't say that they're Jewish. I can say that I'm Jewish and I had the spiritual experience, but that's about it. Maybe if we lived like a thousand, two thousand years ago and the only religion that I had ever heard of was Judaism, I would default to yes, they're Jewish, but I can't say that because I think that spirituality and God surpass religion and I know that there's a lot of religions in the world. There's a lot of talk in the Jewish world and in the religious world in general about folks who are spiritual but not religious. And when I had this conversation with Olivia, 
I think I understood that properly for the first time. See, if I were to have a meditative vision, I would absolutely call it a Jewish one, not necessarily because of the content of the vision or because of the space that I was in where I had it, but because I am Jewish, and therefore the spiritual experiences that I have, I consider to be Jewish spiritual experiences. For Olivia, it's quite the opposite, and I wanted to understand why. Where was the disconnect for her between Jewish religious expression and Jewish spiritual experience? I have Jewish religion, I have Jewish cultural, but I don't have Jewish spiritual. To me, spirituality by definition is not religious. Religion is the set of rules and structure. Religion structures spirituality. It helps you access it. It's, it's the practice. And the practice of Judaism can be tough to access. I don't necessarily think of Judaism as being an exclusive space. They're not like outright exclusive, but then it's just like, it's not, they're, it's just not as easy. You can't just walk into a service. Like technically you can. They're kind of like those like mean girls from high school. Like, yeah, you can sit with us, but we're going to make inside jokes and like kind of like give you the cold shoulder the whole time. It's like, oh, like you don't know the tune? Like, okay, I'll just stand here. You didn't know this prayer? No. Okay. I'll just sit this one out. <laughs> like, yeah. half the service is over. And the whole time, everyone's, like, mumbling along. Why would I choose this way? That makes me feel bad. It makes me feel left out and, like, all this stuff. Like, God can speak any language. I'd rather do it a different way. Being one of three sisters is an interesting place from which to observe the impact of nature versus nurture. The three of us were raised but in the same home, albeit in slightly different geographic locations and on slightly different timetables. But the three of us relate to religion and spirituality very differently. I guess you could consider me to be both religious and spiritual, my youngest sister to be spiritual but not religious, and the middle sister, Isabel, to be, well, I'll just let her tell you. I don't consider myself an especially spiritual person. Mom's spiritual. She, like, you know, sees signs. Olivia's spiritual in a very different kind of way. But I never felt pressured to, to, to do that or to be that. I do consider myself culturally Jewish, and that's something that I really love. But I don't spend a lot of time thinking about spirituality or trying to connect with something that I can't see, I guess. I don't think I really believe that there's an all-powerful man with a beard looking over us. I guess I believe that there's like an energy in the world that connects people and connects nature and events, but I don't really think that any of it is done on purpose, like fate or I think if there was a, a god and somebody looking out for the little guy and looking out for people who do good in the world, it'd be a very different kind of world that we live in. In terms of like my religion and day to day, I don't really have any. I guess when I say I'm a cultural Jew, I mean that I am open to doing, you know, Shabbat when we have Shabbat. I'm open. I, I like doing Hanukkah. I like 
lighting the candles for Hanukkah, just kind of keeping these traditions. I think the traditions are good in that they remind us of things that we should be mindful of, like being thankful for being lucky and being thankful that, you know, our hard work's paying off and that we've been born into circumstances that allowed our hard work to pay off and those kinds of things. The baseline understanding of just like do good to other people is something that is great and more people should do. Um, And everything else, I think you can kind of just leave behind for the most part. I think God would be expansive synchronicity in our lives. Definitely something that adds purpose and direction and strength. I guess in that sense, I would say that God does have a consciousness because I do think that God is active in everyone's lives. Which again was one of those things where when I was little, I was like, that's impossible. There's 7 billion people. But now I'm, I'm realizing that that's just because, you know, we can't comprehend it doesn't mean that it's not real. Yeah. Thank you, Dumbledore. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so I think that God does raise us to be our best selves and like enables us to be our best selves. But I think also God puts people in our lives. So Olivia believes in God, has this deep spiritual sensibility, but still doesn't really identify with religious Jewish practice. What's up with that? I think if I had been presented with Judaism in a different way, like it had been presented as there's this great thing that you can access where you have like a sense of infinity and endless creativity and all these beautiful things and like these are some ways that you can access it and these are some like values that go along with it and help you get there then I might have conceived this entire thing differently then maybe Jewish spirituality would be a thing or if I were to go about Judaism now I might see it that way but that's not the case and so I just I've never had I've never had a spiritual experience through Jewish religious practices. All of my spiritual experiences have come from... I think also that's another, like, thing, like, freedom is the driving value for my life above pretty much anything else. I value my own freedom. And I think that... I'm at a place now where I'm starting to realize the importance of routine and discipline. I might be able to find fulfillment and in a spiritual way through that, but I see I see Jewish religion as a lot of rules. It's kind of the opposite of freedom. It's you have to do these things. I'm like don't feel the need to do that with Judaism right now. Olivia actually did try to do that with Judaism when she was living in San Juan in Nicaragua. I got a Facebook message from her one morning saying, Hey Em, what's the deal with Chabad? And then I learned the whole story of what had happened. Yeah, just that I was really stoked because after spending a lot of time in Guatemala and El Salvador without, in Mexico, without there being any other Jews that I knew of, I got to San Juan del Sur in the south of Nicaragua, 
and there was a Chabad like down the street from my house <laughs> and I was so excited I was like oh my god Jews this is gonna be fun and I really wanted to go to a service and feel like part of a Jewish community and I thought it'd be a fun way to like meet people and get linked into that part of of um my life and I got there and I was like chatting with everyone and having a good time they're like okay we're gonna pray now and I was like okay let's pray and they were like um like we're gonna we're gonna pray over here and I realized I was like oh I'm not allowed to to pray with you and they're like yeah, yeah, but you, like we're all gonna have dinner together afterwards. Like it's it's cool. And I sat down, and I was the only girl. And I sat down in like the girls section. I was just sitting there all by myself, like listening to them sing and dance and have a, a really good time. And I just started crying and I left. It was, it was sort of the same feeling as what I had in Columbus, where I was like, "Are you kidding me? We're in San Juan del Sur, Nicaragua." There is not a thriving Jewish community here, and you're going to make me feel unwelcome because that was just a really crummy feeling, so I didn't go back. To be fair, I was actually surprised by Olivia's experience with Chabad, because if I know one thing about them, it's that welcome is their jam. I don't know where the rabbi's wife was in that moment and why it so happened that there were no other women or girls present, but in any event... Olivia found herself seeking knowledge of Jewish practices and not having a place in the town where she was living where she could learn. Through the wonders of technology, we chatted on FaceTime, and I talked her through some prayers and other things that she might try experimenting with. But it did feel ironic that she had to talk to me in Philly when there was a place just down the street from her that supposedly was going to be welcoming to any Jew who wanted a place to pray and who wanted to explore Jewish traditions. Well, to me, the lesson from the past is that one has to hold on to the tradition in order to carry it on, to pass it on. So without the tradition, there's, there's nothing to pass on. So to me, Maintaining the tradition is a very, very important function, but retaining it into the future, uh, that's, that's, that is a challenge. Every person has to find some way to be a part of the chain and a link for the future. And, and I, I think that's, that's very difficult for people. It was not that difficult for me somehow. I managed to, to, to hold on to that. I don't think it was such a struggle, but I think it is harder today for young people to, to maintain that link. There's so many distractions and so many alternatives that have rewards. It is a challenge to find a way to, to retain that tradition and to hold on to it, to keep it. So yeah, keeping tradition seems to be the one thing that most people in my family agree is worthwhile. My grandma Doris, who just spoke, my grandpa Mort, my parents, and my sisters all seem to be committed to some form of tradition keeping, whether that's based around holidays, based around history, or based around some form of religious practice. 
For Isabel, the question of what keeping tradition meant shifted in the years after she completed college and moved back to San Francisco. I don't know. I mean, you know, I was, I was in a Jewish sorority, right? I was not any more or less religious than most of the girls. Of course, there were some who were more and some who were less, but I think I was pretty much even keel. Like, I was, like, kind of average in terms of my religion and how much I, like, cared about all of that. So I think most people would be like me in that sense. Where we uh, kind of divided was after college. And I started out doing it the right way, dating only Jewish boys, right? Which was like what was expected. Like of all my Jewish friends in college, that's what's expected. You marry a nice Jewish boy. And coming from that, I was like, oh, I'm going to do that. Like I had the same fears. I was like, obviously, like it'd be hard to marry someone who was not Jewish. It'd be hard to have to even have the conversations. But then I dated someone who wasn't Jewish in a very serious way, and um, I decided, I guess, that having that be easy, having that conversation be like a no-brainer, was a lot less important than everything else that goes into a marriage and like goes into a relationship, and that being with somebody who, you know, loves me and understands me and supports me and wants the best for me and has the same values as me on a grand scheme is a lot more important than having a conversation about whether or not we'll let our kids know about Judaism. I think it's only at that stage that people are scared of what will happen. And I think that if people were maybe not so cowardly, (laughs) it would be fine. (laughs) Like, have that conversation. Yeah, it's hard. Do it. It's fine. That person that Isabel dated seriously, who is not Jewish, is her partner, Ozzy. Ozzy, he grew up in a, in a Muslim household. His mom and dad are both fairly religious, though his dad wasn't really in the picture much. But his siblings have never been religious. His two older brothers both married Indian women. His sister married a white guy. And none of them have any kind of Muslim traditions in their own homes. And Ozzy is similar. I don't know exactly what it was that kind of turned turned him off to being Muslim, but he's just not interested in it. So for him, religion is really not something he subscribes to at all in any in any sense. But as I've said, you know, I consider myself Jewish, and I would want my kids to know that they have that in them. I guess kind of like what Grandpa was saying. You know, they should know that they come from this line and they have this blood in them and they have these traditions that have been going back thousands of years that their mom did and their grandpa did going back and back and back I don't know if I would send them to like Hebrew school unless they wanted to I like the idea of sending them to like the JCC or something just to get that like fundamental understanding I would expect them to learn Shabbat prayers I wouldn't expect them to get Barabat Mitzvah unless they wanted to. I think for me it's very much like I want them just to kind of have this understanding and know what it is and then if they want to learn more or be more involved I would support that in any way I could. So yeah, I guess if, if people were to be afraid of an outcome of someone like me being someone who intends to give their children a Jewish background and Jewish identity even though the father would not be Jewish, 
I think there's a lot of bigger problems in the world to think about. <laughs> yes, it's easier to raise Jewish kids if you're both Jewish, like 100% it's easier. But there's so many other things. Like, there's a lot of other things. There's a lot of harder conversations that you're going to have with the person you end up marrying and raising children with. Like, this is just one of them. And like, eh, not that bad. skin that's something else I don't I don't want to get in that part I don't, I don't know if I look especially Jewish I have no idea but I don't think you can tell most people whether looking at them whether they're Jewish or not I would say I don't think I don't know so it wasn't that it was just that you know you, you did look at it from a different angle which I think was critical to I me mean, was positive it wasn't negative so here's another really really interesting piece of all of this my grandpa just made this comment offhandedly about how when you're Jewish, you're not part of the waspy culture, you're not from the Mayflower. My family is not, to my knowledge, descended from the Mayflower through blood. We are descended from the Mayflower through marriage, and it's very easy for me to trace my ancestry in New England on my grandpa Ken's side, my mom's dad, to the 1620s and 30s. I did a genealogy for her a couple of years ago where I could easily trace back 14 generations in a lot of the lines. So when we talk about not being waspy, I think that comes from a more homogenous idea of what the Jewish community is made up of. And on the other side of that are families like that that my sister and her partner might someday form. Ozzy is of Pakistani descent. If they have children, they'll be Jews of color. My Aunt Wendy is Japanese-American, so I already have Cohen cousins who are half Asian-American and half Jewish in terms of their ancestral makeup. As we talk about Jews seeing things from the outside, it's also interesting to think about Jews seeing things from the outside of Judaism. People like me who are patrilineal, people like my cousins who are not white, in an entity like Judaism that is part religion, part tribe, part genetic heritage, being intersectional is complicated. At a conference I attended last month, Rabbi Noah Kushner of The Kitchen in San Francisco spoke of the idea of interfaith families being better termed modern Jewish families. And I like that a lot because it incorporates so much more than the notion that one partner might be Jewish and one partner not. It leaves space for families like mine, families that at this point are representative of a majority of American Jewish families. For Isabel, the connection between Judaism and family is an important one, and something that we didn't experience as much as children. Growing up on the East Coast, when both of our parents' families were on the West Coast, we didn't have a lot of Jewish family celebrations. And that's something that Isabel would very much want to bring to her own family if she were to have kids. I would expect that like, if we visit mom and dad, grandma and grandpa on a Friday night, we would do Shabbat, you know, and like 
we would have them over for Passover, a Seder or something, you know, and we'll go to Auntie Emily's who will teach them things that they should know and, like, we'll do all the things with her. Like, I, I, I think that I'd want to bring the family in and kind of give them... Because that's something I think that I wish we had more of growing up was, like, feeling that connection not just with Judaism but with Judaism and family. And that's something that I've experienced here in San Francisco, especially when I was living with more Janice. Um, and that's something that I really enjoyed. It was like having people over for Passover. Like, wow, people who are in your family, not just like, you know, the Canadians and lesbians down the street, which is what we did in Georgia. So like um, having actually like your family be part of that and like seeing that I think would be really cool. And I would want my kids to experience that. The Canadians and lesbians down the street comment was a true statement about who we had over for Passover in Georgia, because there weren't enough Jews in the area to have a Seder full of Jews. But it's also, I think, indicative of, again, this notion that my grandpa Mort was talking about, of Judaism being on the outside a little bit. Who do you invite to your Seder table? You invite the kinds of people who don't fit in to this little town in Georgia. It helps, of course, that Passover is a holiday on which we've traditionally welcomed in people from many walks of life. Ozzy, Isabel's partner, has spent a couple of Passover seders with our family. He's come to Passover the last two years at Grandpa's house. The first time, he thought it was weird. He was like, what is this? Why, what is with this, like, parsley? And, like, why is there a bone? And, like, what is this book that we're reading out of and do I have to read? And I was like, yes, you do. Um, but the second time, he was he kind of knew what to expect and he was a lot more open about it. Holiday observance is also important to Olivia and is something that she'd be interested in passing along to any children that she might one day have. Celebrate the holidays, learn the lessons, learn the values. I think it is a really good religion to raise kids in because it values critical thinking and like asking questions and a very like, it's a very curious approach to religion compared to other religions. And I think that no matter what religion my partner is, I'd be I'd want to like keep those as part of the practice. I definitely have baggage around Judaism that I haven't unpacked yet, because a lot of people wouldn't see me as Jewish, even though I see myself that way. So maybe I already am died out <laughs> by their standards. So I wish I could just be Jewish without all these like. I just want, like, I wish I could just be it without it being a question, I guess. It's part of who I am, and it's great. I like it. I'm really happy that I'm Jewish. I'm really grateful that I was born into this faith and tradition. I don't feel any regret about being born and raised exactly as I was. The three of you all sort of took to Judaism differently. Each in your own way, which is how you did everything, each in your own way. And we, we let that happen as it would. It's never been easy to be Jewish, and I have no doubt that it will always remain somewhat complicated as more and more people end up being like me, having waspy blood and Ashkenazi blood, having mixes of races, mixes of backgrounds, mixes of nationalities, the Jewish world will continue to get more and more complex, but I don't think it will ever be easy. I do think that continuing to tell stories of families like mine, 
and maybe sometimes putting a little bit more of myself into this podcast as I create new episodes will be in service to making Jewish life a little bit easier for all of us, for our mixed multitude. Thanks for being on this journey. Deep thanks to my particular Cohen's, to my grandpa Mort, my grandma Doris, my mom Judy, my dad Fred, and my sisters Isabel and Olivia. As always, your feedback is totally welcome, but right now your feedback is really, really welcome. Please take less than five minutes to fill out the survey about your experiences of listening to this podcast over the last year. If you do, you could win $75. The link is on the website and will also be on social media. Speaking of social media, if you're not already following us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, SoundCloud, etc., please do. We just reached 500 Facebook followers, which is an exciting moment, and I'd love to see that number grow even more. Other awesome ways to support the podcast are through rating us on iTunes, rating us on Facebook, and if you have the ability, making financial contributions at jutupodcast.com slash donate. We'll be back either late July or sometime in August with an episode that's been on the back burner for a while. I look forward to sharing it with you. Until then, this is Jutu, Tales of the Mixed Multitude. <laughs>